Okay, once again, we're going to continue our, our study in the book of Acts. Last week, we left off with uh, uh, the church was beginning to grow and, and uh, they were starting to be persecuted and those kinds of things. So uh, we're going to begin this week's lesson and hopefully we'll get through Acts chapter 6 and 7. Uh, and we're going to see how uh, the theme of our lesson, lesson and the title that I want to call this is Used by God, and this was Stephen's story. We're going to see that. And I want you to know and understand through this message today that you can be used by God as well. Uh, Stephen wasn't one of the original uh, disciples and uh, the original apostles, but God used him anyway because he was available and because he loved Jesus. Amen. So uh, before we begin, let's pray over the word we're going to read and ask the Lord's blessing that we uh, understand what we read today and, and everything that uh, we need to see that we'll see. Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Once again, we give you thanks for this day, this time, this opportunity, this place, and these people, God, that you've uh, brought here today. And we pray, Lord, for this message. Lord, we pray that you give us the ability to speak your word and to expound upon your word, Lord, of the story of Stephen we're going to read here today. We pray, Lord, for open eyes and open hearts and that our minds and, and everything in us and down to our soul will understand the Word of God, which we see today. And we ask it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Acts chapter 6, the first few verses, let's read those and we'll, we'll talk just a little bit about that. Now, like I said, this, the reason we're going through this is we want to see how the early church operated. We want to see the things they did, the attitudes they had. And uh, it will help us in our lives today to be victorious Christians. Amen. So Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, or uh, some Bibles say the Grecians or the Greeks, uh, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution or ministration. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, uh, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to, uh, to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid, laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and, had great, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Those first few verses that we read, we, we have to understand what's going on here is as the church, number of people within the church was growing, there become more of a necessity <clears throat> for people's everyday needs to be met. And it became so large that, that the, the apostles were not able to take care of this all by themselves. And there were some people that were being left out and some people that were getting forgotten about or things like that. So they decided that on these practical needs of the people of the church that they needed some other helpers. So that's when they got these other seven helpers in which Stephen was one of those. And something I'd like for us to point out is, is we have to understand that, you know, we talk about the church as a spiritual body. Uh, it's a spiritual body, but it's made up of natural people. <clears throat> and so the church does have practical needs, and therefore God gifts people to fulfill these roles. And I remember uh, uh, over in, in my grandfather's church, uh, 
over in Princeton that he had a he had a close friend and it was always just really good about he would go early and cut the heat on and get everything lined out and make sure there was no problems and then he just stood at the door and he welcomed everybody in everybody that came through they came by him and shook his hand and that's just something the Lord gifted him to be able to do now sometimes those things seem very insignificant but those are things that are necessary and those are things that God will gift certain people to do so no matter how insignificant your role at church may be it may just be to show up and smile and say, I'm glad to see you this week. You don't know how that may help somebody that day, right? We had our sister today said, I'm already feeling better just by being here today. Amen. So when she had a smile on her face and, and other people smiled and shook her hand, it helped her that day. So no matter what the thing is that God gives you to do, maybe it's just to be the hospitality towards somebody. Those things are necessary in the church. Verse 8 says this, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. And uh, one of the notes that I jotted down for this verse, something we can learn from this verse. Now, these seven guys, which included Stephen, they were called to do a, a small task, was to make sure people had enough food and make sure people had their daily needs being met. But sometimes through fulfilling our seemingly small assignments were presented an opportunity to glorify Jesus. Have you ever noticed that? See, everybody wants to talk about the ministers on TV. They got flocks and crowds of thousands of people or even bigger churches, and they just we kind of dwell in on the leadership of that, and we think, man, they're doing a great work for God. But sometimes it's the people who you never see or hear from. They're just doing the things that are necessary physically for the church and naturally, and all of a sudden it presents them with an opportunity to do something for the Lord. And this is what happened with Stephen. As he was going about doing these things, look what it said happened in verse 8. Great wonders and signs among the people. He did great wonders and signs among the people. Evidently, the Holy Spirit was kind of did with him like he did with Philip and said, hey, pray for this person. They need healing or do this or whatever. And miracles were happening. And so there was uh, a lot of good things going on. Verse 9. <laughs> Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Sicilia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. <clears throat> Isn't it amazing that as we've started going through the book of Acts that every time something good happens, You've got somebody comes along that wants to tear it down, don't they? You ever notice that? Stephen's doing miracles and great signs among the people. And what would that mean? It means he was helping people. Maybe people were getting healed. Maybe there were miraculous things that they'd prayed for for years, and all of a sudden they were delivered. So good things were happening, but it drew some uh, bad attention from some bad people, right? Bad people resist good things. We see that. We talked about that earlier, didn't we? One of the other notes that I, I made this morning about this was this: was that 
Those that love darkness hate the light. They do. And those who spread lies work against the truth. These guys were all upset. This council now is all upset. And the main reason they're upset is because Stephen dared repeat the words of Jesus when he said, this temple is of no effect anymore. And then he spoke against the customs that Moses had given them. Those two things alone caused these people on this council to be furious with Stephen. They said, we're not going to deal with that. We're not going to listen to someone like that because they highly revered the temple and Moses' teachings. And now we're going to find out in chapter 7, Stephen gives them a history lesson and he actually opens up the scriptures for them to see what they should have seen the whole time. Amen. So anyways, remember that as we go through life. I know we all have experienced it, but... Uh, sometimes it beats us up, sometimes it gets us down. But remember, bad people resist good things. But we need to keep doing good things, don't we? The Lord gives us something good to do to help people, even if it causes us some grief, even if people don't like it, you do the good thing the Lord's given you to do. Amen. Because God does things for a reason. Amen. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. Let's look at those. Then the high priest said, Are these things so? And he said, Brethren and fathers, listen. The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him and his, to his land in which you now dwell. What is important about that? I, I, I was going to just go on to the next few verses, but the Lord showed me something, and this was just this morning. Accurate preaching of the gospel will include a history lesson. Stephen starts out this gospel message that he's getting ready to preach to them. He starts it out with a history lesson from the person where it started from. Right? See, they were upset because he was worrying about Moses. Now, he might be working against Moses' teaching. And he might be working against the temple that Solomon built, right? But he goes all the way on back to the founding father, right? Abraham. So accurately preaching the gospel will include a history lesson. We must be reminded that we stand where we are today because of those who came before us. Think about that. I stand where I'm at today because my mom and dad made me go to church. And I'll tell you right now, as a teenager, there was some times I didn't want to go. Times as a kid, I didn't want to go, but they said, it's time to go. And so they took us. His, par his parents before him made them go to church, right? You track it on back down and you can't really lay claim to anything yourself. It's because you stand on the shoulders of someone else, right? And as we said a while ago, even if somebody's not saved, they can't just go running around and say, well, it's because my family was terrible and horrible. I don't need God and all that. God's shown them a lot of mercy. And so you stand in the mercy of God at that moment. So we have to be reminded of history a little bit. Stephen reminded his audience, who was made up of Jewish people, that their very existence depended on the fact that Abraham trusted God. Notice he didn't go back to Moses. He didn't go back to Solomon. Where did he go back to? He went back to Abraham. Amen? We need to be reminded of three things. 
First is that our chance for salvation is because Jesus obeyed God. He's telling them that their very existence was because Abraham obeyed God. The only reason that you have a nation or that you're even here today is because Abraham obeyed God. And we as Christians need to remember the only reason we're saved is because Jesus obeyed God. Amen? He obeyed His Father. He said, I come not to do my will, but your will. Amen? So He obeyed the Father. He obeyed God. The second thing we need to be reminded of is that being born again is because somebody else told us about Jesus. Think about that. That's the way God designed it. God designed this gospel message so that someone here tells someone there about Jesus and then it's up to them whether they want to accept Jesus or not. So I can say, oh, well, you know, I was lost in sin and I was going to bars and having a big old time and all of a sudden I just had an epiphany. No, somebody told you about Jesus. So we can't lay claim to anything ourselves. We heard the message of Jesus Christ. Amen. And thirdly, we mentioned just a minute ago, if we're not saved, we are standing on the shoulders of the fact that Jesus cried out for mercy for all people in this life. Amen? Amen. Verse 5. And God gave him, speaking now of, of Abraham, he's still giving him this, this history lesson. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way, and his descendants would dwell, that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, said God. And after that, they shall come out and serve me in this place. Then he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And when he made him governor over Egypt and all his house, now a famine and great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And the second time, Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to the Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. Why is he going through all this? Why did the Holy Spirit inspire Stephen to say all these things? It's because we need to re be reminded of the struggle of our predecessors. This pat last passage we read was about the struggle that they faced. The struggle that even Abraham himself, he never really had a home. He just dwelled in tents, wandering about the land. And all the struggle of slavery and all the things that they faced. Sometimes we need to be reminded of what it took 
to get us into this point. I want you to think about my, my mom told me a story that she got to read one of her grandmother's diaries one time. This was a woman of faith. And, and she was reading her diary and she said it struck her and it was amazing to her how hard it was just day to day to keep going and surviving, raising her kids and doing this and doing that and all the things that she had to do because this was back, you know, in the early 1900s when things were really hard. But she always talked about her prayer and, and her time with the Lord and how the Lord had brought her through. And we need to be reminded sometimes that this that we're enjoying right now was not an easy thing. It really was a struggle. It was a struggle for Jesus dying on the cross. It was a struggle for this early church facing persecution. And they, some of them were put to death. <clears throat> we need to remember that and not take that for granted. That's why Stephen is giving them this story this way. He wanted them to be reminded, listen, God didn't bring us all this far just with the snap of His finger. It was hard. God saw us through, but these people struggled. Amen? So that's why He reminded them of this. Verse 17. But when the time of promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. At this time Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he had purposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you do wrong? Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this time Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. And when forty years had passed, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in a wilderness in Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at this sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge, is the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs uh, in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. He's beginning to say to them, and he's starting to set the stage here that just like your forefathers rejected Moses, who actually was the deliverer, you have also rejected Jesus, whom God has sent to deliver you. 
these verses, we need to be reminded of how difficult deliverance is. There was a period of 40 years there that he talked about that Moses wandered around in the desert with a group of rebellious people. We need to be reminded sometimes at the true and the high price that our salvation came. We sang about it this morning, the old rugged cross. Sometimes we need to be reminded that it was just not, it was not like these little movies that they show where it was just a few moments and it was over and it was done and it was nice and clean and all those things. Jesus suffered and died for our deliverance. The early church suffered and was persecuted and prosecuted and many put to death. We need to be reminded of those things. Amen. Verse 37. Now he begins to get really direct with them. He's still giving them this history lesson. Remember, as he's going through this, remember he started it out saying that you're, you're upset because I'm speaking about Moses. You're afraid that I'm tearing away from what Moses said. He went on back before Moses to Abraham and now he's starting to say, okay, I know the story of Moses and he's telling them, I know everything that you know about Moses because I know the scriptures too. Now look what he goes to say in verse 37. This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, the same Moses you claim to be defending and the one I've just given you a history lesson about, this same Moses said this to the children of Israel. <clears throat> The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give us, whom our fathers would not obey but rejected, and in their hearts they turned back to Egypt saying to Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. And they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of your god Rephim. Images which you made to worship. And I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers having received it in turn also brought with Joshua into the land possession by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked uh, to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? He tells them about their past rebellion. See, before everything was kind of favorable. He told them about the fact that there was a struggle and that there was a, a, a lot of things that their ancestors went through. And now he's starting to say, 
Your ancestors also had evil in them too. These are the people who's given birth to you. Amen? So we need to be reminded in a summary of those verses today that rebellion is in us just like it was in our predecessors. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Apostle Paul said, In my flesh dwells no good thing. He realized that as a human being, he's never going to get it exactly right. That he needed Jesus every day. And you and I need Jesus every day. Amen? All the way back through our family history, you could track back everybody's family history is different. Some people says, I was the first person in my family to ever get saved. My people didn't go to church. Or you could track it back and you could have generations of people who went to church. Whatever you do, you track it back. The fact of the matter is they all needed Jesus. They all needed a Savior. Whether they were born again or whether they weren't, they still needed Jesus. And we have to remember that. We need to be reminded of that. That in us is not the ability. In us is not the, the, the power to do anything against the enemy. It's in Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. Amen? Amen. So we could track it back through our family history all the way back. You can go all the way back to Shem, Ham, and Japheth. That's where we all descended from, right? At some point in time. And ultimately back to Adam and Eve. Bible says that our mother and our father, Adam and Eve, failed. And guess what? That failure is in our DNA. But thanks be to God for His Son, Jesus Christ, who failure wasn't in His DNA. <laughs> failure wasn't in Him, amen, because He was the Son of God and because He obeyed Him perfectly, amen. Without sin, without spot, without blemish. Praise God, hallelujah, amen, amen. We understand that disobedience, we understand that Adam and Eve is our mom and dad, we understand that disobedience and rebellion is in our genes. And we need to be reminded why? So that we don't keep making the same old mistakes. Now we talk about it a lot around here. God's a God of second chances, third, fourth, and fifth. Amen. But it all depends on our attitude. It all just simply boils down to attitude. If I take the attitude, well, you know, such and such told me I got saved and I'm good. I don't care about nothing now. But if our attitude is, you know, Lord, I love you. Help me every day to walk after you. Yeah, we're going to still make mistakes and we're still going to mess up from time to time. But if our attitude is toward Jesus, if our attitude is toward God, hallelujah. If that's what our attitude is, He will not allow us to stumble and completely fall. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And as we get ready to, to close and finish up today, verses 51 through 53, he reminded them of their rebellion, of their fathers. He reminded them that they had rebelled against Moses, the one they're claiming to defend. And so now he really gets serious with them. And this is what really gets him in trouble. Verse 51, Stephen says this, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels <clears throat> and have not kept it. Stephen challenges them with the truth. 
Sometimes we need to be challenged with the truth. Remember when we got saved? We were challenged with the truth that, hey, you're a sinner. You have failed God. And when I realized I was a failure, I had two choices. Like the brother said this morning, I could humble myself and repent and get saved, or I could resist it like these fellows were talking about here, and I can go the other way. Two choices. Humble ourselves and accept Jesus, or we can resist Him in our own pride and walk away. And God gives us that choice. But thanks be to God, we were smart enough and softened enough in our hearts that we humbled ourselves and accepted our Savior. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. And then the last few verses. What do you think happened when he preached this great, wonderful history lesson in this sermon, this great thing? They all got saved, didn't they? All those guys get saved and, and want to get baptized and all that? Nope. They sure didn't. Look what happened in verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. Meaning, they said some pretty ugly stuff to him, didn't they? Probably some stuff that the Bible didn't want to repeat. That's why it just said they gnashed at him with his teeth. Amen. Verse 55. I want, let me just say, say something right there before we, we, we move on. When you tell the truth, and God gives you something to tell somebody that challenges them, yeah, we can do it in the right way. But you know, sometimes it gets rejected. And sometimes people will actually then turn and hate us. It's happened. It's probably happened to you, and it may happen to us again in the future. Very possible. But I want you to know, always speak the truth. Do the right thing in the sight of God. We talk about that a lot. Always do what's right. People may look at it funny. People may think you're weird or whatever. But remember, God's watching. Always live our life that way, knowing He's watching and listening to what we say and do. Amen? So, so Stephen has, has now a choice to make. Am I going to say anything back to these guys? They're giving me the what for. They're giving me the business. They're, they're really mad at me now. But look what happened in verse 55. But he, talking to Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. <clears throat> And said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He had the opportunity to be angry, to be bitter. And we're talking about he's dying at this moment. This is, he, he is at death's door. Yet being full of the Holy Spirit, he did exactly what Jesus did on the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And here Stephen is. All he did was tell them the truth. And they're stoning him to death. And what does he say? Do not lay this charge against them. What kind of love is that? That's only God's love, isn't it? God's love in Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, 
allowed him to forgive these people who were stoning him. And we'll get into it a little bit next week, but did you notice what it said there uh, in uh, verse 58? They cast him out of the city, stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. We're going to find out that this guy named Saul is going to become a very key figure in the movement of Christianity in the future. God was going to get a hold of him, and then he was going to start preaching the gospel. But I want you to think back. I have to believe that even though he rejected it at the time, at some point in time in the future, he had to think about, you know that guy Stephen, I was holding his clothes basically. They laid his clothes at my feet while they stoned him to death. And I remember his last words. Lord, don't lay this sin on their account. Don't charge them with this sin. A prayer of forgiveness as he was dying at the hands of those who were killing him. You see, doing the right thing Following the words of Jesus, you just never know what it's going to, how it's going to change somebody else's life. Amen. It's not about earning a demerit for ourselves, right? It's not about earning another star in our crown or all those things. It's just simply doing the right thing that somebody else may see what our good works and glorify God themselves. Amen. Amen. Let's pray this morning. Father, we come to you today. God, we give you thanks for this word we have read. Lord, we prayed this morning for uh, to be humbled as a nation. But Lord, we see now here as a group of people, we've been humbled here by your word today. We see, Lord, what Stephen said to those who were killing him. He fully exhibited everything that Jesus did on the cross. That's why the Bible says he was full of the Holy Spirit. It was not to be running around and acting certain ways or doing certain things or speaking in other languages, but being full of the Holy Spirit here caused him to respond exactly as Jesus did in the exact same situation. Father, help us to react like Jesus did. Lord, help us to, to do and say what we're supposed to say, not like we want, not like somebody's trained us, but like Jesus did. Lord, he's our example. Oh, Father. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Help us to be more like Christ. Help us to be more like your son Jesus of Nazareth. Hallelujah. Who's seated at the right hand of majesty. Help us to be like him and to respond in every situation the way he did with grace and mercy and truth and love and forgiveness. Hallelujah. Lord, help us as people to move forward as we've been humbled by your word today. Help us, Lord, to be like Stephen to be like Jesus Christ, hallelujah, to be like the early church and give these types of examples to others that they may want to come to Christ as well. Father, I pray for each and every one that you keep them safe to the next appointed time we meet, God, and we ask it in the name of Jesus today. Keep them safe and watch over them. Amen. Amen.